Well, good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, we have ushers who have Bibles in their hands. They'd love to get them into your hands. So if you didn't bring a Bible this morning, if you forgot your Bible, if you don't own a Bible, please get your hand up so you can grab a copy of God's Word. We're going to be going through this Galatians chapter 5 together in the Word, so you're going to want a copy. And if you don't own a Bible, please get your hand up and take one of these home as our gift to you. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to be in the first 15 verses this morning. As you're turning there, if, if you know me at all, you're going to know that I'm not a detail kind of guy. My wife, Libby, will ask me, uh, you know, she'll phone me right at the very end of work and say, hey, hey, on your way home from work, could you pick up these items from the grocery store? And if it's not on an email or a text, I'm not doing it. I'm going to forget them. I'm going to show up. What are you asking for what? This is all I got, right? And it, listen, even though with, with, with a text or an email, I still find grocery shopping to be a challenge. Maybe you're with me on this. Right? I mean, I go to the grocery store and I, I mean, I get, I get lost. I, you, hey, bread could be on the, just get bread. Have you been in the bread aisle? Like, you want seven grain, 12 grain? Like, which one do you want? Are more grains better? Like, mmm, that must be 12 grain. I can taste the extra five grains. Like, they're so good, right? And I don't know which one am I supposed to bring home. And then you get lost and you, and you want to be efficient getting through the grocery every day. Okay, I'll get all the dairy stuff here and then I'm going to get dog food. Cheese! I got to go back for cheese. You go all the way back, right? You want to get through as quick as you can. In fact, the phone call I most normally get while I'm shopping from Libby, the very first words of her mouth every time are, where are you, right? <laughs> I don't know, I'm in the gluten-free aisle. I don't know how I got here. Send help, right? I, here's the thing. As I'm leaving the grocery store, here's the, the biggest challenge. You want to get out as quick as you can, right? So what do you want to do? You want to get through the checkout as fast as you can. So how do you do that? You're like, well, choose the shortest line. Oh, you have much to learn, young Padawan, right? That's not, it's not always the case. Rookie mistake. Don't go for the shortest line. You gotta look who's in the line. What do they have? What are they, are they clutching coupons? Are they, are they gonna try to pay with exact change? Who's working the till? Are they bored and don't wanna be there? Or are they shoveling stuff through quickly, right? So you choose the line that you're gonna get into. And while you're waiting in line, especially in that time when, when somebody has an item that won't scan, that's the worst, isn't it? Because apparently they need to go find another item in another store in another country to be able to make that thing work, right? But So you're saying the best thing, though, when you're in that line, I don't know if you ever play this game where you look because you had two to choose from. Do you ever play the game? You're like, okay, which one? I chose, I'm going to watch that lady, and if I get three for her, I win the race, right? I do that. Everything's, everything's a competition. But, right? but the best thing is when all of a sudden you hear... I can help somebody over here. There's another line that opens up, right? Now, if they, if they say that out loud, it's not always the best because, I don't know, I mean, when they open it up, it's like a prison break and you're, everyone's running for that. Ah, I think I got stabbed in the kidney by an organic carrot. I've been shivved on my way to the... And you run as... The best then is when that person comes up. This is like the unicorn of shopping. The person comes up and they go, hey, I'll help you over here. Isn't that the best? Right? And you get to make your way. You're like, yeah, I'm in the front. And okay, all of that to say this, all right? <clears throat> this is what Paul is going to be saying to us this morning. Right? He's going to be saying, hey, hey, you're in this long line. You're in a line. The light's not even on. They're not even, you, you're not even able to get through. Nothing is scanning. He's saying, hey, why are you waiting over here when Jesus has opened up a whole new way? And, and it's, it's like this, you found this new line, a new line in Christ, this life in Christ. You don't even need to pay to get through this line. And you're, you're on your way, ready to go through this line. And Paul's saying, hey, hey, if this new line's open, why are you back here? 
Why are you still in this other line when you know there's a new line open for you? I mean, he starts off chapter five. You look there at the, in your Bibles, it says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. He says, you've been set free. You weren't set free just to go back into slavery. You were once striving so hard, pursuing after everything you could to find hope, pursuing after things of the world, pursuing sin. Maybe you can find it there, pursuing after the approval of other people. Maybe you're stuck in some religious activity and I'm gonna do good works and now you've been set free by Christ. And Paul's saying, why would you ever wanna step back into slavery again? Jesus didn't set us free to be back into captivity again. Salvation isn't a prison transfer. It's being liberated. You've been set free. And yet so many of us still stay in that old line, don't we? So many of us not living the free life. And, and we replace the slavery of sin and we replace it with a slavery of I'm going to work hard for Jesus. I'm going to work hard to earn God's love. And, and listen, it's like we believe that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ was good enough for a down payment on my salvation, but now i got to make the monthly installments if I want to see this thing through. i, I got to work hard at, at what God already started. i got to keep working. And Paul's saying, listen, you're crazy to think that you can in the flesh in the flesh, it's just a Bible word for, for on your own, doing in your own strength, behavior modification kind of stuff. You're crazy to think that you can do in the flesh what God started in the spirit. So you've been changed. You've been, you've been transformed. It's, it's not just an outward thing. You've ever heard this illustration there, if you take a, a metal rod that's been bent in half, and you can straighten it out in two ways. You can straighten it out by putting outward force on it, just bending it back as much as you can to get it straightened out. So it's straight. And it will be straight, but that spot that was bent will always be weaker. There's another way, though, you can straighten an, an iron rod, and, and what you do is you heat it up. You apply heat to the place where it's bent, and you begin to slowly move it straight again with that inner working of the fire of the heat. And when it's straight, it's now as strong as it was before. Listen, the gospel steps into our lives and says, listen, it's not an outward act. You're trying to change things. You've been changed from the inside because of Christ in you. There's an inward transformation. I love how C.S. Lewis says it. He says, listen, it's not about like teaching a horse to jump better and higher. It's like turning a horse into a winged creature. I mean, you've been set free by Christ. You've been transformed by Christ. Not, not redirected, but completely changed. So the question can be asked, and okay, I get all that. Paul's been, been hammering that out through this whole book of Galatians. How do I then live it out? Like, what's it look like? I want to stand firm in my freedom. What's that look like to live in freedom? Now, this is a question asked by everybody. I mean, maybe this morning, it's asked by the people who just stumble into church going, look, I, I heard there's hope and life in that place. I want to experience that. And you stumble in to church and you're like, I've never been here. I don't know the lingo. I, I don't even, the person beside me, they had a question all the way through that singing part. Their hand, some people had two questions. I don't get that, right? The person who stumbles into church, never been before in their life, they're saying, I want hope and freedom. What's it look like? Practically, what's it look like? 
The person who's been following Christ for a long time, maybe you grew up in church, the same question is being asked, what's it look like for me to really live in this freedom? And so that's what we're going to unpack this morning. If you're taking notes, the first point that we have this morning is this. What does freedom look like? It looks like this first, I'm free from striving. I'm free from striving. And we're going to see that Paul starts to lay this out, and he's going to use one example of what it looks like to strive. He says in verse 1, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Verse 2, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. You're going to see Paul's going to talk a lot through this chapter. He's going to talk a lot. He's been talking throughout the book of Galatians a lot about circumcision, this, this minor surgery a Jewish boy would go through as a baby, and it had had huge significance for an Old Testament Jew, this idea that God gave us this as a sign that we're distinct, we're set apart. But they begin to think that this external action earned them favor with God. Even though all through the Old Testament, God continues to say, listen, I don't care so much about that. I also want your hearts to be circumcised. It's not just the outward religious activity. It's about an inward change. And Jesus then came to fulfill this symbol to say, listen, you can have sin cut away out of your heart. And so Paul's going to talk just about this one law, this one example. But I want us to think this is anything external, any external religious activity we put in our life that we think this is going to earn our way. To Christ, rather than recognizing it's transformed from the inside out. Okay, so it's, it's not the act of circumcision that Paul's against here, all right? He's, he's warning us against anything that we put in as a rule to follow in order to earn salvation, in order to be made right with God, in order to gain favor from God. So Paul, he's against Sabbaths, he's against, he's, against, he's against rituals, he's against feasts, he's against anything, no matter how small or how big, that we put on the table and we think, when I do this, I'm earning favor before God. And so as we jump into this, I don't want you to be thinking, okay, circumcision's great. Again, if someone ever pressures me to do that, I'm good. I won't do that, I'll be fine. Everything's good then. Listen, it's anything that, that puts a focus on a system and takes our focus off of Jesus. Any of that monthly down payment kind of stuff that moves us away from a relationship with Jesus and tries to move us into regulations and, and rules and, and it's where we turn God from a father into a boss. I mean, it's not circumcision in our day. Nobody battles with that here, but, but for us, I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's music. Like, oh, oh, you listen to secular music. <laughs> I'm going to listen to the Vertical Church Band and Hillsong. I guess I just love Jesus more than you do, <laughs> right? Oh, 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 you, you wanted a cruise with your family for vacation? Oh, all right. Well, I spent my holidays on a missions trip. I, I'm glad you had fun while I was serving Jesus, right? <laughs> do, do you know that that money you spent on your vacation, you could have used that for, for so many ministries. I, I guess you just don't, not only don't love Jesus, you don't love people. Well, I serve in Harvest Kids. I, I know you do, but only one Sunday a month. Come on, I serve every Sunday. Don't you care about, about little kids hearing about Jesus? All of these little things, and those are some examples. Maybe you think of some more of these things where, where there are little ways where we think, I'm earning my salvation. 
Now, don't lose me here. There, there are good, those are all good things to pursue. When we do those things, it's great. But here's the problem. The problem is when the reason we do them is we think that there's some misguided idea that I'm gonna earn favor with God when I do that. Listen, Christian, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You can't do anything today, this week, to make God love you more or make God love you less. Whether it's the best week you had or the worst week you had, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And all of the work we do flows out of that transformation. It doesn't cause that transformation. In fact, in verse two, look, look what Paul said. He says, it's no advantage to you there's no value to it. I mean, think about when I was in high school, it was all about music, right? And maybe it still is that way, but I remember when I was in, in high school, we would have these special youth events. Maybe you grew up in one of these kind of churches where you bring all your secular music into the youth event, right? And you would, there'd be a big bonfire. We actually did this. I remember doing this. And you, we'd bring all our albums, all our cassette tapes. We would throw them all into the fire and watch them burn, Right? And then what? The next two weeks, what would we do? We'd spend all that time rebuying everything we just burned, right? I don't, I don't, we couldn't do that. These, I, don't, I don't think it would work in today's, because like, pressing delete on your iPod does not have the same impact of watching that REM tape just go up in flames. Right? Real, I listen to really bad music, right? Here's the thing. Paul says, listen, all that doesn't count for anything. Throw it out. Don't throw it out. Get circumcised, don't get circumcised. The only thing you're gonna get when you choose that, the only thing you get, you may be sore for a few days, I would imagine, all right? But your heart's still unchanged. Now, why, why is Paul so fired up? Why is he saying, hey, when you do this, it's of no value to you? Here's one of the reasons why, as we see here in, this, in this, these verses, Paul says, when you do this, when you start to pursue this, you can never stop. Striving never brings freedom because you can never strive enough. Look at verse three. As I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. He says, listen, listen, if you're gonna say, I'm gonna do this to earn favor before God, you're picking up the whole thing. You have to do everything to earn that kind of favor. God says, be holy as I am holy. That's the whole thing. I think what happens is I don't think we look at it honestly when we, when we grab a hold of this idea of I'm gonna strive to do this and I'm doing so much better than that person. Why? Because we only pick up the part of the law that we got dialed in, that we're doing so well. We, we only look at the, the specks in everybody else's eye and we forget to see the huge log coming out of our own eye. And we begin to judge people on the law, don't we? Well, I can't believe that person smokes. Don't they know that the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Pass me another bucket of KFC, would you? Right? <laughs> and what do we do? We start to become these little Pharisees, don't we? And we start to, to look for, we put, we put on the little junior Holy Spirit badge and we start to look around and see where is everybody else failing? Where are they failing to meet up a part of the law that, that I mean, I got this figured out. How come you don't have this figured out? And Paul says, listen, if you're basing your worth and your value and your freedom and your hope and your peace on a part of the law, you gotta take the whole thing. Think about it, eventually you run out of resources. I mean, if you think that your freedom is found on the outside of grace, you have to keep striving for it. And Paul's saying, why would you stop just at one law? 
You gotta keep going. Look at verse 12. He gets a little crude here. Verse 12, warning. Verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you, those who are saying get circumcised, would emasculate themselves. He's saying, you think snipping off a little piece of skin makes you holy? Then go ahead and cut the whole thing off. Well, God's going to be impressed with your circumcision. Think how impressed he will be if you castrate yourself. That's what he's saying. Now, I've said some stuff in church where I wish I didn't say it. I'd be like, yeah, I'm not saying that second service, right? Like, Eric, don't put that on the video. Like, to cut that out. Let's, can we edit that? Like, like, Paul here raises the bar on offensive things, doesn't he? Listen, we need to be passionate about protecting the church from anything that would poison the gospel. There is no end to that striving once we start going down that road. Think about it. Well, we have to give generously. Well, well, is that enough? Maybe we should just sell everything and go become monks. And Well, maybe talking isn't holy either. Maybe we need to be silent all the time. And, and clothing is so wor- worldly. We, we should probably just put on burlap sacks. And Christ was in pain for us. Maybe we should hit ourselves so we're in pain. Well, listen, all of this has happened throughout church history. All of it failing to realize that Jesus paid it all. That Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. And when we fail to realize that, amen. Amen. When we fail to realize this, that all our sin and shame was dealt with on the cross, when we fail to realize that that when you responded to grace and you turned your life towards Christ and you rested in him and his promise, we fail to realize that our debt has been fully paid, that our identity is secure for eternity. Following after Jesus, it's it's not this race to see who can be the, the most radical, who can sacrifice the most, who can be the quickest to burn out. For the gospel to stay the gospel, grace, grace, grace has to stay at the center of it. Our hope is not what we do for God. Our hope is in what he's done for us. Here's another reason I think Paul was so, so serious about this whole idea. Not only will the striving never end, but you actually lose the power of grace when you start adding law to it. Look at verse four. He says, you're severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So, so not only do, if you accept one, do you have to take on the whole law, verse three, but now, verse four, when you start to do this, you, you begin to fall away from grace. Now, now, Paul's not saying you lose your salvation here. All the way through this book, he calls them brothers and sisters. They're, they're children of God. You don't lose your justification, but you will lose your freedom. You will lose the power of grace in your life. You will find that your life is, is more controlled by bitterness and unforgiveness and and gracelessness and, and judgmentalism and anger and you, you begin to lose the, the hope and the joy and the peace and the goodness of living under grace. You begin to remove yourself from that power of where grace is. Uh, maybe you got this. Most people have these now, the little fobs that you, you press so your car unlocks, right? The automatic car openers. Well, here's another game I play as I leave the grocery store. I always want to see how far away I can be for it to work. Do you ever do that? 
You're pressing it, pressing it. I probably kill the battery. I'm just press, press, press. I've also learned this. If you put it on your chin, your head actually works as an aerial. You get more distance. It's true. Look it up, right? I'm sure it's not good for your head. I'm probably not going to help myself out a lot. Maybe that's part of my forgetfulness. I don't know. But anyway, so... And I try to see how far away I can be. But there's a, there's a range, right? There's a place where, where if you're not in that range, it's not going to do its little magic trick of unlocking the door. You've got to be within the range for the door. to You press the button and some magic happens and little fairies in your car open it up, right? Because you press that button. But you have to be in the range for that. And I think what, what Paul's saying here, listen, anything you do to try to lift yourself up in, in pride and saying, this is what I've accomplished for the Lord, you're stepping outside of the range of the power of God's grace. In 1 Peter, in James, it's the same thing. It says, it says that God will, will oppose the proud, but give grace to who? To the humble. So when you start to, to build yourself up in pride, you're actually stepping outside of the grace of God, the, the power that he offers, that he's going to open up those doors in your life. You're outside of that. The law is powerless to do anything like that. The, the law is just as powerless as it was to, to justify you. It's just as powerless to sanctify you. God wants us to daily remain in that place where you are utterly, completely, and totally dependent on his grace. As, as dependent as you were on that first day when you came to him and saying, I have nothing to offer but my sin and my shame. And God says, I'll take that and I'll give you new life. Every day it's the same thing. We come every day saying, I have nothing. Oh, wretched man that I am. I'm the chief of sinners. And I trust only in you, Christ. And God pours out his grace on the humble. His power flows to the humble. You rise up as though you had wings like eagles. Mountains move in that kind of place where, where God's grace is poured out as you humbly depend on Jesus Christ every single day. As you remain attached to the vine, the source of the power of God, of freedom in your life. Listen, you will bear much fruit and it'll be supernatural fruit. Paul's pretty, pretty serious about this. Don't mix law with grace. Here, here, here's why. When we start to do that, not only do we lose the power of grace, not, a, not only is it never gonna be enough, here, here's another reason why we don't wanna do that, because when you strive for, for earning God's favor, you poison grace. Look at verse nine. Paul says, a, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. He said, listen, legalism spreads. You start to add a little bit of leaven to bread, just a little bit, just a, a tiny, just one drop. It can destroy the whole body. And it's interesting here when you read this where Paul says he's comparing these good works to yeast because you read throughout the whole New Testament, every time yeast is talked about, Jesus talked a lot about yeast, it always referred to sin. That a little bit of sin in your life, it'll affect your whole body. A little bit of sin in the church affects the whole body. Now Paul says, hey, hey, same thing with legalism. He's comparing it to legalism. This idea where, where we treat good things as essential things. Where good things become ultimate things. Listen, they become dangerous things. When good things become ultimate things, they become dangerous things. That's why in our church, we need to oppose strongly 
anything, any teaching in a small group, any, any teaching. If you hear me preaching something that is not gospel-centered, is not gospel-saturated, it needs to be weeded out. Because a little bit of it will completely contaminate your life, your family, our church. And so we stand firm in this freedom that we're, that we're freed from striving for our salvation. But the question's asked then, okay, then, then are we freed from striving completely then? What's that look like just to stand in our freedom? I mean, is, is, is freedom then I can just do whatever I want? I, I mean, I, say the, I said the prayer. I got my ticket to heaven. I paid my fire insurance. I, I'm not on my way to hell. I'm on, so I can do now whatever I want. I'm good to go. No, listen, gospel truth. When we truly embrace, truly understand the gospel, it's way more than just something we believe. It changes us. The gospel is more than just believed, it's also obeyed. Look back at verse seven. Paul was saying that they get caught in this circumcision thing, they get caught in this legalism. He goes, you were running well. You were running well. What hindered you from obeying the truth? He says, you're running, it's a race. You, you read through the New Testament, you, you read about what the Christian life is, it's always talked about, it's, it's a battle, it's a war, it's a race, and it, it's not a race like a 100-meter dash, right? It's a marathon that we're on. Yeah, I'm free. I'm free from striving, but I'm freed to something. In fact, our second point this morning is this. I'm freed to live for Christ. I'm free from the opinion of other people. I'm freed from my own sin and guilt. I'm freed from striving to earn God's favor. And I'm freed to live for Christ. Verse 5 says, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. As a follower of Christ, you, you now, by faith, have Christ, his spirit in you, working through you, setting you to be free, not to live however you want, not to do whatever you want, not to make your own decision, not to just choose whatever lifestyle you now want to choose. That's not freedom. That, that's actually being a slave to ourselves. That's being a slave to what the world thinks. We're, we're set free from that to be a slave to Christ, which is free to live in the way we were created to live in Christ. As, a, as the Spirit begins to work in your heart and in your life, you're gonna see that he's gonna to begin to transform you. He's gonna change your wants, your passions, your desires. And you begin to want what Christ wants. Not what the world wants, not what our sinful nature wants. We're gonna to begin to say, I want what Jesus wants. I mean, Jesus said in John 15, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Because if you love me, you'll obey. It's just going to start happening. As you love me, you're going to obey my commandments. And what happens in that? When we begin to obey, he says, my joy will be complete in you. He says, my, my yoke is easy. 1 John 5, 3 says that his commands are not burdensome. I mean, legalism says, hey, do this to be free. The gospel comes and goes, no, no, no. Live by faith and you are free. Trust in God. But, but we're not moving from, from legalism to license. Well, then I'll just do whatever I want because license comes along and says, do everything that you want to do and that's where ultimate freedom comes. The gospel says, no, no. You, you now have the spirit of Christ in you. That isn't freedom to you anymore. 
Now you're, you seek him, you, you seek his word, you, you seek him with your whole life, and you're going to find there's joy and freedom in that. I, mean, I love this verse, verse 5. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves, listen to it, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We're, we're eagerly waiting this hope that we have now. Now hope is this, what's he talking about, this hope? It's the hope of judgment day. It's this hope of when I get to see Jesus face to face and I, I eagerly await that, he says. I mean, think about that. He goes, I, I can't wait for judgment day, is what Paul's saying. Now when you think about what's it gonna be like to stand before God, what do you feel right now? Is it fear? Is it uncertainty? Or do you have a joy and anticipation of that day when you stand before God? Listen, as long as we live in legalism, we should not look forward to that day because there's more you need to do. There's more boxes to check off. There's more standards to try to reach before you can get to that place where you could stand before God. If you're living in license where you're just like, I'm just going to do whatever I want, then, then you're not looking forward to that day either. What, what your life is showing is that I care more about what today has. I like the here and now so much better. I'm not looking forward to, to seeing Christ because I like this more. My, my eyes aren't on eternity. But if we grab a hold of the gospel, we can stand firm in this freedom of hope for that day when we see Jesus face to face. I mean, think about you, you can begin to tell whether you have this, this freedom of the gospel in your life. Why? Because your life will point to this future hope. And that when you stumble and fall, when you choose sin, that, that you're, you're not devastated by that. No, you, you just say, I don't want that. I'm not, I don't want to pursue that temptation because I want Christ in my life. I want more of him. I'm, I'm, I'm not free to do that. I'm free from having to do that. And I want the fullness of grace and joy and righteousness. The free life is so good. It's so really good. And your life begins to point to there's something more that I'm striving for. There's something more that I'm looking towards that I have hope in. And my hope is in Christ. We realize that it's not easy. It is a race. It's, it's a marathon. It's, it's 26 grueling miles. And maybe right now, maybe this morning, you're on mile two. Maybe you're on mile 25. But you know that mile 26 is coming, that you're going to cross that finish line, that, that victory will be yours. You know there's a, a day coming when, when you're going to cross that finish line and God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, doesn't this change the way you run a race? When you know how it's going to end, where you don't have to run like you don't have hope, you, you don't have to run like you're defeated, you don't have to run like you're always being distracted by maybe other ways you'd rather run. No, you can run because you know that what the finish line holds, that you want to lean into the tape at the end of that race and see Jesus. I mean, that's the picture of the Christian life. That's the freedom that's so good. That we have no guilt in life. We have no fear in death. I mean, if you fear death this morning, listen, listen, this morning, trust in Christ's righteousness for you. 
I mean, don't keep trying to figure out what do I need to do? What can I do maybe later today? I mean, right now, this morning, where you are, you can be sure of your eternal destination. You can be done with the fear. You trust in Christ's righteousness at this moment where, where right now you say, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a savior, but Jesus Christ came and he lived the life that I couldn't live died the death that I was supposed to die in my place, took the wrath of God on him, but then he rose again three days later and defeated sin and death and Satan so that I can today be free. Where that separation that, that kept me from a holy God because of my sin has now been bridged because of Christ and now God sees Christ righteous in me. That can be true for you today. You call out and say, God, change me. I live by faith in your spirit, and I want that hope, that, that hope that you give. Listen, he gives it. He gives it. Quickly, as our last point, how does this all play out? So, so if I'm not striving for my freedom because I know I have my freedom in Christ, if I'm gonna now live and be free to Christ, what's it look like in my life? Here's our last point this morning real quickly. I'm free to love others. I'm free to love others. Verse six, Paul says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. He goes, I don't care whether you do it or you don't. It doesn't matter what matters. Only faith working through love. Now, Paul's not adding something to you, not saying, hey, 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 stop striving for all this law stuff, but here's another law you need to love. No, what, he's, what is he saying? He's saying, love will flow out of this. Love's gonna naturally flow from this gospel freedom you have in Christ. Jesus said it. He said, they'll know you're my disciples. Why? Because of our love. By your love. So if you find it hard to express love, if you find it hard to serve other people, you need to come back to your faith. You're not trying to earn brownie points before God, but you come back to that place and go, have I been changed? God, would you produce that in me? Would you produce Christ in me? So that I can start to live out this real action-based love. Look at verse 13. It says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Paul spends five plus chapters telling us you're free, you're free, you're free, and now he says this, hey, you're free to serve. I mean, if you want to take the literal translation, it says, hey, you were a slave. You're now set free to be a slave for other people. And that's really what he's saying here. You're, you're, you're no longer a slave, so be a slave to each other. Come out from under that burden, that crushing weight of sin and shame and striving and trying to earn your righteousness. Now live in the freedom of Christ and serve others. It's this slavery of love that we're called to it's this idea that if, if Christ is in me, who is, who is this Jesus Christ we're talking about? It's this Christ who came not to be served, but to serve. 
Jesus wasn't obligated to love us, to die for us. He desired to do it. He gave his life freely as a ransom for many. He did it out of love. So brothers and sisters, loved ones, if, if that's true, and if, if Christ came not to be served but to serve and to be a, a sacrifice, to give his life for us, then when that Christ is living in you, won't it radically change the way you do relationship with other people? Won't your marriage look different? Won't your workplace be different because you're there? Won't your school be different because you're at that school? Won't our neighborhoods look differently? Won't our families and our church look different? I mean, does that make sense? Does it make sense that if Christ is in us, living through us, how could we live for ourselves? How could that even be possible? No, we're set free. We're set free to live for other people. To, to, we're, we're set free to serve, to sacrifice ourselves for people. I mean, that's the whole picture of Christianity in the New Testament, that we're free to serve and love each other. I love verse 13. It says, don't waste the freedom on yourself. Don't, don't take it all just for yourself. We no longer can say, listen, I'm a follower of Christ, but, but I'm gonna live however I want. It's gonna be on my terms. When, when Jesus says forgive always, yeah, I'm not, I don't have to do that. I'm holding on to this bitterness. Well, when Christ says to, to give generously, ridiculously generous, yeah, I'm ignoring that one. That one doesn't apply to me. And I'm gonna pick and choose what fits me best from God's word. That's not New Testament Christianity. That's us being a slave to ourselves. It's, it's what we've been freed from. It's just slavery to our stuff. It's slavery to, to people. We've been set free from that. And what scripture's saying, here's where it gets really practical for us this morning. Take this, listen, take this natural inclination you have in your heart to serve yourself. We all have it because I've got freedom and I want it all for me. Take that, turn yourself around. Take that natural inclination to exalt yourself and turn it outward. You now give more. You offer more forgiveness. You give more love. You begin to give yourself to others. You, you, you don't come to church any longer with that attitude of, what can I get out this morning? Boy, I, I, I hope the worship team's good this morning for me. I hope Kai's got a message that, that impacts me because I, I need it for me this morning. But instead, you now come going, what does Christ have in me to give? How can I love people this morning? What, what part of the body will I be this morning? In my small group, I'm not going to my small group saying, boy, I'm getting there because there's somebody that needs to hear this and they better get something fixed. And, they, and no, do you go, going, how can I serve? Listen, it's an unnatural way to live. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here. Listen, you can't manufacture this kind of love. And that's the point. Where does it come from? How has it, it grown in us? How do we have that kind of love? By embracing the gospel that says you're free in Christ your future is secure. We need Christ to give us this kind of love. 
It's, it's a lack of faith in the gospel that keeps us clinging to our stuff rather than being generous. It's a, it's a lack of faith in the gospel that keeps us clinging to our bitterness rather than moving out in forgiveness. It's this lack of faith in the gospel that, that keeps us clinging to our fears rather than stepping forward in boldness with joy, with peace. It's a lack of faith in the gospel because here's what the gospel says to us. The gospel says, listen, you can trust God. He's better than all those other things. Christ is more sufficient and more satisfying than anything else we could cling to. I mean, how free is it to know that you're loved by the God of the universe so you now can love others? So the worst team comes up as we end off this morning. Here's the question I want to leave us with. How will we stand firm in our freedom? What's it look like? Here's what it looks like. It's when Christ takes over our hearts. It's when we lay everything else down. The only way we're going to be able to sacrifice everything for our families, for our workplace, for our schools, for our neighborhood, for the nations, the only way we're going to be able to do that, to sacrifice everything for the glory of God, is by looking to Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. So the answer this morning, if, if God's pricked your heart and said, man, I, I do want to live out this freedom, the answer isn't to strive more and do more. The answer is to raise the white flag of surrender over your little kingdom and lay your life down at the feet of Christ and rest in his perfect righteousness, rest in his performance on your behalf. Listen, I believe this with all my heart. I believe that the more as a church as we press into the gospel, the more we continue to press into the truth of the gospel, the more that <clears throat> Jesus Christ is going to grow our love for each other. The more we grow in freedom, the more we realize that Christ has set us free, the more we're able to live out this freedom for each other. For freedom, Christ has set you free. It's, it's what he wants to do in your life this morning. Would you stand with me as I pray? <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning, God, I pray that you would help us stand firm, help me stand firm, God. So often I fall off to one side or the other and I, I move towards striving and legalism and think that I'm doing it in my own flesh or I, I pursue after sin and license. God, help me stand firm in the gospel. Help us as a church to see you more clearly, to surrender our lives, to surrender our, our, our stuff, to surrender our families, to surrender everything we have, Lord Jesus, to you and live out of the freedom of you in us. And that by faith, we can have a hope for eternity. Help us see you. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together.